0: the biographical accounts of the life of Jesus. There's one thing that stands out in the life of Jesus, and that is he was a man of prayer. At least 14 times in the scriptures, the Bible speaks of him praying to the Father. The bulk of material that we have on the prayer life of Jesus is found in the book of Luke. So here is a man that believed, trusted deeply, in the power of prayer. Let me just read for you again what is recorded. And it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I want us to really focus in on the latter part of verse 4, where Jesus in the model prayer says, Do not lead us into the temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I think in order to appreciate what Jesus is saying, first we have to understand, we have to recognize this powerful force called the evil one. We begin by maybe first of all calling attention to his profile. If you were going to profile The evil one that is described in the scriptures, what would you say? What would you write? How would you identify him? The Bible uses a number of descriptive terms to identify the devil. In in other words, we could pick him out of a lineup. Well, how would we do that? Well, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 3, he is identified as the tempter. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 19, he is called the wicked one. In Matthew 13, 39, Jesus identifies him as the enemy. In Luke 11, verse 4, again, Jesus calls him the evil one. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Peter identifies him as the adversary. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, he is called the deceiver of the whole world. And so in capsule form, you have a profile of the evil one. But there's a second thing we need to observe, and that is his position. What is the position of the one who is called the evil one? Well, Jesus said in John chapter 12 and verse 31, that he is the ruler or the prince of the world. Did you know that the world has a prince, has a ruler? And Jesus said... He's the evil one. He's the devil. The Bible also speaks of him as the God of this age, or the God of this world, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. And then I think about the words of Paul in Ephesians 2, at verse 2, where he is spoken of as the prince of the power of the air. So we look at his profile we take into consideration his position, but what about his prowess? Where does the strength of the devil lie? You know, sometimes it's, it's good for us to look at the methodology of how some people operate. There are many corporations and businesses all across this great country that have a methodology of how they go about conducting business on a daily basis. So how does the devil, op- how does the devil operate? What's his modus operandi? I mean, think about it. What's His methodology? Jesus, I think, gives insight into that. In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus tells us exactly how the devil operates, how the evil one operates. He said, lies and deception. The devil is a liar. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 44. Not only is he a liar, he is the father of all lies. You can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden when he undermined Mother Eve. What he said to her was a lie, wasn't it? And so that's how the devil operates. Whenever he speaks a lie, he's just saying what comes naturally. He is a liar, and as Jesus said, he's the father of all lies. Now, what you and I need to understand is The devil has the ability, he has this innate ability to make things look so good and so pleasing and so appetizing. But when you get inside the package, you find out you didn't get what you bargained for. There are a lot of folks that have been deceived by the lies of the devil. As a matter of fact, Paul said, Be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God, that you might be able to stand against the wiles, the schemes, the lies of the devil. What about his purpose? How would you define the purpose of the devil? Let me just sum it up in one word murder. Jesus said he's a murderer. He brought death upon the human family all the way back in the Garden of Eden, didn't he? In Genesis chapter 3, man began to die physically and he died spiritually, didn't he? So when we talk about the purpose of of the devil. What the devil wants to do, number one, he wants to discourage you in the faith. Did you know that discouragement is one of the greatest tools the devil uses in his arsenal? There are a lot of ways the devil tries to counteract our Christianity. There are ways that he tries to go about hurting us in the faith. One way is discouragement. In Hebrews chapter 12, the writer said, "Therefore." Seeing we're accomplished about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, the sin which so easily besets us, and run with patience the race that is set before us. He said, Looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of God. He said, Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners. Now, why? Here's what he says lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls." Look, the devil knows. If he can discourage you enough, what will you likely do? Give up! Wave the white flag, say, I've had enough! So number one, he wants to discourage you in the faith. Number two, he wants to derail your faith. In First Timothy chapter 1, the Bible talks about two men, Hymenaeus and Alexander. Who made shipwreck of their faith. That's why I said to Timothy, wage the good warfare. You're in a fight. Don't let the devil derail your faith. A lot of folks today allow the devil to make inroads in their lives, and once he gets a foothold in your life, let me tell you what, it's hard to get him out. A lot of folks have difficulty purging the devil from their lives. They've been derailed. And there's a third thing the devil wants to do, and that is he wants to ultimately destroy your faith. Do you think the devil is pleased with you as a Christian living a faithful life? Absolutely not. The devil has a lot of allies. The devil's concerned about people who are living the Christian life. His ultimate goal is to discourage you, to derail you, and to destroy your faith. In in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul talks about Hymenaeus and Philetus. He said, men who concerning the truth have erred, teaching that the resurrection has already passed. And then he said, here's the danger. They overthrow the faith of some. Well, you see, behind all of that, the devil is operating. And what the devil is intent on doing, destroying your faith. So here's the question. How then do we overcome this powerful force called the evil one? Well, I think Jesus provides us with an answer to how we can combat the evil one. Listen again to what He says, Luke chapter 11, the latter part of verse 4. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let me give you some reasons why... We should pray. Sadly, a lot of times as Christians, we neglect one of the greatest arsenals that we have in our defense system. Well, what is, that, what is that arsenal that we can fall back on? It's called prayer. Listen again. The Bible says Jesus is praying in a certain place. When He ceased, one of His disciples said to Him, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, they wanted to know how to pray. We know how to pray, but do we know what to pray for? Jesus said one of the things we need to pray for is this, Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I would suggest that, first of all, we pray that we will have the fortitude to resist the devil. Do you remember what James said in James chapter 4? He said, resist the devil and what? He'll flee from you in verse 7. When Jesus was confronted by the devil in the wilderness, he's fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and the tempter comes on the scene, and the devil is doing his best to make inroads into the life of Jesus. And yet each and every time, Jesus resisted. Now the Bible says in Luke chapter 4 verse 13 that after he had resisted all of those temptations the devil left him until an opportune time. All he's saying is he won the battle that day. He won. He was able to resist successfully the overtures of the devil. But what Luke is saying is he's coming back. It's a daily battle, isn't it? And so what we ought to do is pray. That we will have the mental, spiritual fortitude to resist Him, to say no to Him. And then, there's a second thing we ought to pray for, and that is reinforcements. Sometimes it's helpful for us to pray to God and to just reflect upon the tools that we have to fight against the devil. The armor, if you please. Now, Jesus said we ought to pray that we would be delivered from the evil one. What are some sources that we have to draw upon? Well, first and foremost, the Scriptures. When Jesus was tempted by the devil, three times the Lord answered, It is written, it is written, it is written. So what does that say about the power of Scripture? Sometimes it's not what we know, it's what we do. Sometimes we know what the Bible says, but we don't live up to what the Bible instructs. We live below our knowledge. So Jesus is saying, look, there is a lot of strength in Scripture. That's why the psalmist said in Psalm 119.11, Your word have I hid in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. You remember Paul in Colossians chapter 3 talked about allowing the word of God to dwell in our hearts. He said, let the word of God dwell dwell richly in your hearts. Well, all he's saying is, "Let let it find a home in your heart. Why? So that you can resist the devil. So first we think about the power of Scripture. There's a second thing, and that is, we can look to the Savior, can't we? Do you remember what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 and 18? He talked about the fact that in that he himself was tempted, that is speaking of Christ, he is able to aid those who are tempted. What the writer is saying is, the Lord... In times of temptation, we can look to Him for rock solid strength. Matter of fact, Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter ten, verse thirteen, that there will, with the temptation, be also a way of escape. So recognize that the Lord is an ally; the Lord's on our side. The Hebrew writer said in the long ago, "I will never leave you nor forsake you," so that we may boldly say, "The Lord is my helper." What's your man doing to me? To know that the Lord is with us, the Lord wants us to make the right decision, doesn't He? And just as Jesus faced temptation, He's able to help us as we face temptation. So we can pray to God, and we can call in our reinforcements, so to speak. Well, what are those reinforcements? Number one, Scripture. Number two, the Savior. Number three, what about the saints? Do you remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15? Evil companionship corrupts good morals. All he's saying is, you need to surround yourself with good people. Sometimes one of the reasons we yield to temptation is because we haven't surrounded ourselves with the right kind of people. Solomon, Solomon knew a lot about temptation. Matter of fact, Solomon knew a lot about giving in to temptation. And so Solomon is writing to his son in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10, and you can just hear him. Here is this father-son discourse, this dialogue. And Solomon said, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Don't give in. So rather than hooking up and running with the bad crowd, we need to stay away from the bad crowd, try to isolate, or rather try to build around us the right kind of friends. The Bible says in Acts 2.42 that the early church continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. Verse 44, the Bible says, All that believed were together. Is there strength in numbers? Yes, there is. Is there a lot to be said with surrounding ourselves with good people? Look, if if you know people that drink and smoke and cuss and run around and act like the devil, you don't need to be around them. Why? Because they're going to bring you down. They're going to destroy your faith. They'll derail your faith. They'll discourage you. Sometimes I know as... We face those teenage years. Sometimes we want to be in the quote-unquote popular crowd, and sometimes the popular crowd, that's what they want to do. Look, nothing wrong with being popular, nothing wrong with people looking up and admiring you, but don't compromise your faith. Don't compromise what you believe for the sake of popularity or whatever. So recognize that there is a lot of strength, In the scriptures, a lot of strength in the Savior, a lot of strength in saints. But then there's a third thing we ought to pray for, and that is resilience. One of the things that we need as Christians is the willpower to stay in the race, don't we? When you live the Christian life, sometimes you lose the battle, don't you? Do you make mistakes? Yes. Sometimes sometimes we feel like we make mistakes every day, don't we? The answer is yes. The key is, when the devil knocks you to the ground, don't stay down. Get up. In James chapter 1, verse 12, James said, Blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he has been tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to them that love him. All he's saying is this. As a Christian, you're going to face some things that will try your faith. Trials, yes. Outward trials, things like sickness and illness and disease, financial reversals, struggles, problems with people and things, and on and on and on. And then there are those inward temptations brought about by the devil who seeks to bait us and then to capture us. And so what James is saying to all of us is, look, when you face temptation, okay, let's say you succumb, let's say you give in. You're going to keep living like that? You're going to keep doing what you're doing? Or you're going to say, you know what? I failed. I made a mistake. And up from the mat you come. And as John would say, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As a matter of fact, in 1 John chapter 2, John said, My little children, these things are right to you that you sin not. That's the divine ideal. But he said, If any man sins, knowing that what? The possibility is there. So if we sin, what can we do? We have an advocate. That advocate is Jesus. And He is pleading our case before the bar of heaven. And the means by which, the basis upon which we are exonerated is what? His blood. And so... As a child of God, we're walking in the light. We're striving to do our best, but sometimes we yield to temptation. When we do, rather than stay down, we pray to God. We pray that we will be resilient, that we won't go away, that we won't give up, give in, give out, or anything else. Now, let me give you some reasons why sometimes we don't pray. There are some reasons why we do not pray. Number one, Ignorance. Ignorance is not a bad word because what the term, well, the term suggests people don't know. They're uneducated, unlearned. They don't know. Sometimes we don't pray because we don't understand the power of prayer. We don't understand. The power of prayer. Listen again to what Jesus said. Here He is praying in a certain place. When He had ceased, one of His disciples said to Him, Lord, teach us to pray. So Jesus said, when you pray, pray that you'll be delivered from the evil one. Sometimes we fail to remember, look, we pray to God. What was it James said? The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man does what? Avails much. Is there power in prayer? Yes. There's power. Look, look at the life of Jesus. I said a moment ago, some 14 times in the gospel record, we have an account of Jesus praying. Here's the Lord, the Son of God, spending time in prayer. Now, if He realized the importance of prayer, what does that say to us? If He realized the power of prayer, what does that say to us? If He trusted, relied on prayer, don't you think we ought to have that same attitude that we ought to say, you know what, the Lord's, He's on something here. The Bible says that He left us an example that we should follow in His steps. So here's Jesus, and we're plotting His course. Three and a half years He's on planet Earth preaching and teaching the gospel. Now He lived to be, what, 33 years of age. We have a record of of three and a half years in terms of His ministry. And what do you see Jesus doing? You see Jesus taking time out to pray. Well, when? Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Here's Jesus rising early in the morning, going out into a solitary place, and praying to God. The Bible says in Luke chapter 5 that Jesus withdrew into the wilderness for the purpose of praying. The translators supply the word often. But I think when you look at the life of Jesus, you see that it was characteristic of His life. In Luke 11, what's He doing? He's praying in a certain place. In Luke chapter 6, before He selects the apostles, you know what He did? The Bible says he spent the night in prayer to God. With the cross looming before him, here he is praying to God the Father that we might be one through the Apostle's Word, praying for us. In the Garden of Gethsemane, here he is facing the cross, and the weight of the cross, the weight of the world is resting on his shoulders, and here he is praying to God the Father, saying, Father, if it be possible, Let this cup pass from Me." Did Jesus believe in the power of prayer? The answer is yes, He did. He trusted in prayer. So if He realized the power of prayer, if He was a praying man, what should we be? We ought to be praying people, because we are trying to be liking. So one reason people don't pray, one reason we don't pray sometimes is because of ignorance. We just don't understand the power of prayer. Let me give you another reason why we don't pray. It's called indifference. Indifference. We're indifferent to prayer. Paul said, pray without ceasing. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, he said, continue steadfastly in prayer. Pray. How could we be indifferent to prayer? Is it possible we're indifferent to prayer because we don't realize we're at war? Maybe we have underestimated the work of the devil. Let me tell you what. If you were going to sit down and write up an overview of the work of the devil and then begin assessing how he operates and his workmanship... On a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate him? 10 being the best of the best. Let me tell you what, you'd say he gets a 10. If you were grading the work of the devil by way of the alphabet, A, B, C, D, or F, what would you give him? I'd give him an A for excellence in what he does. He is good at what he does. Now, I'm not saying he is right, but he knows what he's doing. And if he can keep you from praying to God, he has a foothold in your life. The door is wide open, and we don't even realize it. Paul said, neither give place to the devil. I want you to think about something. 24 hours in a day, every day. 24 hours. Out of that 24-hour cycle, how much time do you spend in prayer to God? How much time? How much time do you spend watching television, listening to music, reading? There are a lot of things that we do in life that circumvent our prayer life. We have the opportunity to be in the presence of God in prayer, and what do we choose to do? Watch television? Sleep? Do whatever? We are in the fight of our lives Paul said, fight the good fight of faith. Here we are at war, and the devil is coming on like a barrel of wild animals. And What do we do? We don't take time to pray. Jesus said, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Do you pray? Are you a person of prayer? And I'm not just talking about jump up and say something and move on but do you spend time in prayer realizing the devil is after your soul you know what he wants he wants your skin on his wall doesn't he He wants to take you captive what Jesus is saying is look you want to combat the work of the devil you better spend some time in prayer how much time do you spend in prayer to God praying for yourself praying for your family praying for the church praying for wisdom how much time so ignorance indifference and there's a third thing interference let me just be very blunt here one reason we don't pray like we ought to is because we say we're too busy we're too bu- we don't have time to pray i got to make a living or I've got to fish, I've got to hunt, I've got to play golf, I've got to play tennis, I've got to do this, I've got to do... I don't have time to pray. It's an interference. It's, it's an interruption in our lives. So what we're saying is, you know what, I'm really not that concerned about my spiritual life. I mean, what's the big deal? After all, I'm a Christian. I'm a member of the church. I've got it made. That's what you think. How often do we allow worldly interests to interfere with our spiritual lives? Let me answer that. More often than we give credit to, the world is chipping away at our heels. And Jesus said, if you're a friend of the world, you are an enemy of God. And so what do we do? We allow the world to interfere with spiritual duties. We allow the world to shape, to mold our thinking, our actions, our dress, our conduct, on and on and on. And yet we could be doing what? We could pray. Pray to God. So, if you allow your prayer life to be interrupted, then what you're doing is falling prey to the devil. Here's what Paul said, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27. Neither give place or opportunity to the devil. So you don't pray. You say, "You know what? I don't have time. I'm too busy. Got too many things going on." You just don't understand. I understand perfectly. Crystal clear. I understand. We're all busy. But in not praying, what you're saying is your faith is not important enough for you to spend a little quality time in prayer to God. Don't let the devil work his way into your life. Let me tell you what. Once The devil gets into your life. You think you've got trouble. You just try purging him out of your life. He won't go quietly. He won't go easily. So here's what you need to do. Pray. Here's what you need to do. Pray. Here's what you need to do. Pray. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. Steadfast and sure while the billows roll, Fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love.